Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai. I'm remarried and living my best life ever. See, there's so much life after divorce. I'm starting my new chapter unapologetically. I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me on the journey. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday. So buckle up. So welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I'm very excited today to be interviewing Cute Blackson. Welcome to the show, Cute. And I love what you're all about, which is basically liberating people to sort of live their own best authentic life. Tell me. Yes, yes. It's great to be here. So yes, that's what it's about. It's about living authentically, living who you are, living your truth and uh, sharing and giving your gifts to the world. That's what it's about. I mean, I think, you know, doing what I do as well, living your own authentic life and, and sort of just what this podcast is about is something that is so important to to everybody out there. I mean, explain to us a little bit because, well, you grew up in Ghana. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. And I came to the U.S. when I was 18. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world from everywhere and nowhere. And from a very young age, I always, I was a very sensitive, empathetic kid growing up in South London. Sounds like you have a bit of a British accent yourself. And so I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was always a part of me that was very in tune, very sensitive. And as a young boy, I wanted to alleviate people's suffering, but I didn't know what that would look like. And so my, my childhood was a bit, I mean, some would say unusual. When I was going through it, it just felt normal. I thought this is what everyone experienced. And, and what I mean by, by that is my first memories as a young boy was literally have this image of seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand, that this man, the gravel that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people here. Like one of my memories was seeing maybe around age seven, seeing a person, a woman come in in a wheelchair and this man looks at this woman in a wheelchair and says, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up, put his, put his hands on them, and they would stand up. And so this man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, had hundreds of thousands of followers, a huge church in London, in South in Wandsworth, 5,000 people every Sunday. And so this was my, my reality. I grew up with a sense of possibility that anything was possible. My father was a very spiritual man, less religious, and my mother was Buddhist. So I grew up meditating. And so age eight, I began speaking in my father's churches. And at 14, I was given the mandate to take over my father's organization. And my entire life was basically scripted out for me, set out for me, planned out for me. And, uh, you know, at 14, I, like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. 
when it was announced, I knew that I didn't want to take over. But my fear was if I dared to be truthful, we're talking about authenticity, if I dared to be authentic, then I thought I would, my fear was I would lose love. My fear was if I dared to be who I am, then he won't love me. I would be outcast. I would be alone. And I think many of us, we, we hold ourselves back. Many of us, we hide who we really are. We, we're afraid that if we truly are ourselves, we're going to be rejected and we won't be loved. And so I said nothing. And it was when I was 18 that I, I chose to make a courageous decision to be myself, to follow my path. And my soul called me to the U.S., and I wanted to come to the U.S. because I felt a calling to go into the personal growth industry. I started reading self-help books from, from a very young age. And that's when I had the, the conversation with my father. I basically looked into my future. And I saw that I could follow the expected path and be successful and take over my father's organization. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my own sanity, all I was doing was betraying myself. And if I don't have my soul, what, what kind of success is that? That you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not or living someone else's life and so i had a difficult conversation with my dad and it, and it was it was it was terrifying it was scary it was heartbreaking and i told him i'm not i'm not taking over and long story short we didn't speak for two years and that's what brought me to the u.s i ended up winning a green card in the lottery came to the u.s and began my journey and i, and I really believe that you know, when you follow your soul and dare to follow your truth and don't compromise what's real, I feel, I found through my experience that the universe supports you. And maybe the route that you take may not be convenient or the one you most expect, but you'll always end up in the right place at the right time with the right people. So that's a, that's a bit of my journey. I'm a big believer in that, actually. I mean, just for anybody, because I mean, I've read your book, but I feel like anyone that's not living within there, it doesn't matter if you're sort of led into a path by your family, but if you're not living your own true self, you can't do it. Yeah. You know, you can't be fulfilled. You can't be happy in your family life. You can't be unhappy as you are. And I think that's is very much like a divorce in a way. You know, I mm -hmm. have learned to live exactly how I want to now, which is free, whereas I spent 18 years or, you know, mm. the last 10 of them sort of not feeling myself, feeling like I, I was living somebody else's life that was expected of me. And I feel like it doesn't matter what that looks like. A lot of women today do it because they're scared to step out of what society has told them is the correct way to live today. And I don't feel that yeah. societal rules actually have that much of a place anymore. I feel that, mm -hmm. you know, we're such individuals. I mean, I went to boarding school, so we were all treated uh -huh. as one person. And I actually was just dealing with this today. And I feel like we're not. What is society? Society, does does it really exist today in today's world? Does it have a place, do you think? You know, don't you think? I mean, I feel very strongly that people should be taught to think on their own. Yeah. The challenge is we are, we are conditioned, you know, like I think as human beings at the depth of our being, we're all free. We are all pure. We are all innocent. We are all in touch with an authentic sense of being, our true essence. We're all whole, perfect and complete. We're unconditioned in nature. The society conditions us. You know, if you look at a child, the child doesn't give a shit. The child will jump on the table a little baby will jump, a kid will jump on the table naked, doesn't care what society thinks. I'm naked, I'm peeing myself. You know, I got some little belly fat. What do I look like on Instagram? It's just being fully self-expressed, unselfconscious. A child will jump on the table and sing, doesn't care if it, if it, you know, 
has no voice or doesn't sound like Adele or Celine Dion. It's just, it's just being what it is. And mm-hmm. so what happens is society conditions us, religion, media, social media, programming, you know, school, education, our parents. So we, we, like we incarnate into this human experience and we meet our parents. And the truth is our parents themselves are conditioned by society, which is conditioned, you know, throughout time. And our parents, they're doing the best that they know how to do based on their upbringing and their, you know, parents and their grandparents. And so we're born into like a preset pattern of programmed conditioning already. And maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe, you know, there's abuse, there's dysfunction, there's pain, there's trauma. Maybe... Maybe our parents are just good people, but they didn't have the emotional intelligence or capacity to know how to meet our emotional needs. And so from the external, what's, what begins happening is we, we learn two things happen. The first thing is we learn all sorts of strategies and mechanisms to sort of shut down, disconnect, not feel the pain around us as a survival mechanism. And over the course of years, Layers and layers and layers and layers of sort of unfelt feeling that we learn to suppress in order to function, survive and cope, build up. And we start slowly losing touch with our authentic nature. We slowly start losing touch with who we really are, what we really feel, you know, because it gets buried underneath layers and layers of disconnect. that We erect walls around our heart and feeling sensitivity and capacity to just function and cope. And then we also contort ourselves, much much of which is unconscious, into a kind of shape, the person that we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, and approval from parents, from society, from teachers, from those around us. So we kind of become, you know, shy. We become the nice girl. We become the the sort of all-A student. We become the overachiever. We become who we think we need to be to get to get love, validation, approval. And so we start wearing and developing all sorts of roles and masks and personas to fit into society. And also at Shojin, there's this unconscious perception that like love is conditional, that love is something you need to do in order to get, and, and because we weren't necessarily loved conditionally based on parents and society. And so before you know it, we become 18, 19, 20 adults, and we become this version of ourselves that we think we needed to be to fit into society. And the version of ourselves that we've, contort- we've become conditioned into ends up being who we think we are, but it's not. It's just a version of ourselves that we've been conditioned into in order to feel accepted and feel validated and feel loved. And, then, and now we're kind of locked into a prison of persona, a prison of personality, thinking that's who we are. So we often hear people say, ah, this is just who I am. This is just me. But I think the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free, free to choose, free to be ourselves. We're kind of living life and making choices in love and relationship and career and things that we do based on our past programming. And if we're not aware of that, I think it's hard to be truly free and authentic and happy. And so I think society conditions us, you know, and, and, and the, the matrix of the world conditions us. And so I think the more we can start getting in touch basically questioning ourselves like who am i and what am i and what is my truth and what do i really believe like do i really believe this or is it just what's been passed down to me from parents and generations and so i think that's that's the first first step but it can be scary to question who we are and what we've become when what we've become is the version of ourselves that we've we've kind of needed to become and been conditioned to become to function, survive, to avoid pain and get love, validation, approval. So I think one of the first places that perhaps 
people can start, I would say, is or, or one of the things that I think keeps us stuck as human beings from being free, from being happy, from being authentic, are all the lies that we tell ourselves in order to get love, validation, and approval. I think we've been conditioned to lie to ourselves, often unconsciously, unintentionally, survival. So I think if we can just start with looking at what are the lies that I'm telling myself? Where am I not being honest? Where am I not being authentic? What are the lies I'm telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because also I think many times as a self-protective mechanism, it can feel scary to start telling ourselves the truth because the fear is if I dare to be authentic, if I dare to tell myself the truth about this relationship that I've been in for 18 years or five years or two years, what's going to happen? And so we stay in relationships that we know we know we're not in love. We know something's not quite right, but we've invested so much. But, you know, society has expectations and our family and we're going to disappoint people. And so we stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. So let's take a little break from the show. And I'm going to tell you about my absolute favorite bedding company and bathroom and homeware loungewear brands, Cozy Earth. Their products have made my everyday life so much more comfortable and cozy whilst I get the best sleep ever. So I've just received their pajamas again because I've had so many pairs of these and I mean, I live in them. They are just so soft and so easy and I sort of love to come home, take off my everyday clothes and lounge around the house in these pajamas. I will be putting them up on my Instagram so you can see them a little bit closer, but I absolutely love them. Cozy Earth has also allowed me to sleep deeply without being interrupted by things like being too hot or too cold or uncomfortable in my own skin. So, you know, in Dubai, I'm either too hot or I'm freezing because we've got the air conditioning on. So they have temperature regulating sheets and um, I don't know how it works, but they're amazing. And it means that I sleep well every night, which is key to keep me energized every day in my busy schedule, which is crazy at the moment. They have also been named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018 and their best selling bamboo sheet set is so incredibly soft. I can't tell you enough. The softness of these sheets. I mean, the more you wash them, the better they get. They offer a variety of luxury pillows, sheets, blankets, and so much more. And you can choose the entire set that matches. And it makes all the difference when you're interior designing a room. So it just makes it feel so finished. I mean, as you guys know, I'm about to move into my new house next week. And the bathroom's open, the bedroom's open. So every detail matters for me. So I'm currently choosing everything to match and I can't wait to show you. They've also introduced a linen set, which I love because it has a crisp elegance that's in timeless appeal that I really, really like. They are backed by a really lengthy warranty. So they have a hundred night sleep test. I've never heard any brand do this before. A hundred night sleep test. And if you don't enjoy them as much as I have, you can ship them back. There is no buyer's remorse, basically. So if you don't like these sheets, you literally just pack them back up and send them back, which I've never heard a brand do before. So they must be good. Cozy Earth is actually softer than cotton because it's made from viscose and from bamboo's fabrics. And they're sustainable, which also in today's world is a big, big plus. And today, Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for all my listeners 
35% off site-wide when you go to CozyEarth.com and use my code DND. That's CozyEarth.com. Use my code DND for 35% off site-wide. I hope you enjoy all of their things as much as we have. Amazing. Let's get back to the show. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then. I think it takes a lot to look at yourself like that. You know, if I think back, you know, your 20s are your most confusing and you think you know everything and you think you you really believe you are that person. It's not really till you get to 40, your late 30s, 40, where you actually have the balls to go, well, this isn't who I am. And you want to live authentically and you want to live freely because, you know, you can make more decisions on your own. You're not looking for your parents' approval. You're not looking for anybody's approval. I don't care who likes me anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I do reality TV, so a lot of people don't and a lot of people do. So and I'm okay Mm. with that. But I think, you know, it took me a lot as well, because also the the mistakes that you make in your 20s live with you through your 30s, because you've got kids, you've got everything else, you've built the house, you've gone to work, you've made, you've joined your bank accounts, you've told your parents, you've got married, you've done all these things that then, you know, you go, shit, you know, how do I get out of it? But maybe I don't love him like I thought I did. And how do I tell my parents and let them down? It's courage. And well, and, and ruin my children's lives. So, you know, I think... Where do you see when when people come to you? Do you see most improved? I mean, are are they in their thirties, or would you say that most people sort of wake up to these facts in their forties, which is what I'm seeing with with this podcast? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, often what worked for us when we were five and ten and fifteen and eighteen and in our twenties kind of worked for us. Usually, hits a point in mid thirties to its 40s where people, where, where it stops working anymore, where maybe you're in that relationship and now you realize, shit, I'm not happy. And the pain, the, the years or the decade of pain becomes so great that we can no longer bullshit ourselves. We can no longer lie to ourselves. Or maybe finally mid-30s to 40s, you've achieved a level of success and for a certain period of time, and you've gotten what you thought you need to get. Like in your twenties, you're, you're, you, you still have this idea of, Oh, if I can achieve that and get that and make that and, and have that house and car and nothing wrong with that. But if I, we have this idea that that's what's going to make me happy. So we work for 20 years to get there then we get there, then we're not happy. And, and that makes us even more sad. And now we feel even more pain and now we're depressed and now we're going to well, the think- cy- cycle because, the twenties sort of happen with it's keeping up with the Joneses because when you're yeah. young, you know, you then also come out of school and you've kind of, you're in that school mentality where you've got, you know, a classroom of friends as it were. So you're looking around the room at what everyone else is achieving. Whereas I think when you get older, you're not so bothered if you're on your own. But I think when you start in your twenties, you kind of want to like, well, she got married. 
He got married. They're having a baby. This one's got a, a six bedroom house. This one's got a, you know, four bedroom house. This one's got a Ferrari outside. I need to have these things. I don't think yeah. that applies as much as we get older. I think we, we have more 40, independent yeah. thinking. You know, and when you achieve, when, yes, and when you get older and like you're in your 40, maybe you have it. You have the thing that you thought was going to make you happy. And you care less about and it. It doesn't make you happy. No. And you have the car, the house, the Lamborghini. The, and it's like, why am I not happy? Like, I work with a lot of very successful people and they're at that stage. And there's nothing sometimes worse than getting what you thought you wanted and then it's still not making you happy. Mm. But that, I say that dissatisfaction and that pain is a blessing if you're willing to look deeper because that dissatisfaction and that pain can lead to a breakdown, which can lead to a breakthrough if you're willing to get real and if you're willing to get honest. Oh, I like that. Breakdown to get through a breakthrough. Start with the truth. Start like, like you have to want to be free more than you want where you're at. You have to want to be free more than you want what you have. So if you're willing to be honest, which can be terrifying to our egos, because, you know, the ego is the version of ourselves that we have been conditioned by society to become. But the job of the ego is to reinforce its identity. And the job of the ego is to keep us safe. So the ego our perceived sense of self and personality and identity doesn't want to change. It wants everyone else to change. It wants you and you and you and my ex and my husband, my kids to change, but it doesn't want to change because it, it gives it a false sense of safety. So I tell people, start with the truth. You know, one thing that I think, I think helps is if you're, if you're able to take the pressure off of yourself from even having to take action, because the fear of the consequence is what often keeps us stuck. So if you're willing to just say, you know what? I don't have to break up. I don't have to get a divorce. I don't have to leave my job. I don't have to take any action. Let me just acknowledge the truth because you can't really change something if you're in denial of it. The only way you can change something is to acknowledge it and come into acceptance of it. So if you're willing to start with just what is the truth? I'm unhappy. You don't have to do it. You don't have to leave. You don't have to take an action. I hate my job. You don't have to leave and start spiraling into the future negative future fantasy of like i'm going to be homeless just i hate my job just start there and that begins a process the feeling deeper levels of truth inside and that will lead you to the next step so i think if people can just start there take the pressure off that's that's profound and i think often by the time people get to 30s and 40s they start feeling the pain they can no longer like it, it it's hard to hold on to the lie and i think pain like when we lie to ourselves and we're not authentic it's not meant to feel good. It's meant to feel painful. I think that's a sign that we're actually healthy. Pain is a feedback mechanism that something is off. The challenge is in our culture, we've learned to distract ourselves. We drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, smoke it away, shop it away, social media it away, just so that we don't feel the pain. But the pain is feedback if we're willing to listen to the message that part of us, a deeper part of us is needing our attention. So I think pain is also a blessing and a messenger. Well, I think ego is probably one of the most dangerous things that people have. You know, again, doing what I do, and maybe that prepares me more because you can't have an ego on a show like this. So, and it's very important to sort of understand that there will be people that, and, and, and a lot of people don't want to be disliked or have a fear of, you know, making a mess or whatever. And I, I always think that, and I've always said that, you know, I go straight into the fire. I'll do whatever anyone else really isn't prepared to do. So I kind of like that because this way, you not only do you grow, 
but you unlock a different side of your life. The fear and actually of living a normal life for me mm. with the 2.4 mm. children and a white picket fence and just going to work is way more than um, kamikaze roller coaster life that I've put myself on. Mm. Mm. And what is normal anyway, right? Normal according to whom? Normal according to what? What's normal in Africa, in, in Nigeria is not normal in Turkey, is not normal in the UK. And mm -hmm. what we might consider normal in Vietnam is not so normal is often a construct based on culture, conditioning, you know, history. And so I think we have to have the courage to find our own normal. And the truth is, you know, you talk about ego. Ego is not even a real thing. Ego is not a thing. And the degree to which we believe ego to be a thing is the degree to which we're not free, because then we hold on to our perception of what we, we believe ourselves to be. Ego is a sense of identification with what we believe ourselves to be. And so ego isn't a thing. Ego is a process of identifying ourselves to be name, body, form, you know, history, past experiences. Same as society, really. Same as society. It's not really there. It's, it's, a, it's a, a cage that holds us all, all in a place. But I always say, who is society? Society tells us this or, you know, and I'm like, well, who, who, who are we looking up to? Because frankly, you know, kings and queens and gods that we've all looked at, you know, if you read back in the day, they all misbehaved. So, you know, I think we have an unrealistic ideal that is built into us. And it's funny because my son is 12 and he called me wow. yesterday and he goes, mommy, can I have a discussion with you by yourself? And he said, you know, what, what happens if I'm not successful? What will happen to me? And wow. if I don't get a job and if I don't, and will I be homeless? And I was thinking, where is all this coming from? I'm like, you're going to be super Deep successful. Kid. Yes, but super successful. But is that because, you know, I'm so driven or is it because I'm like not spending, you know, he's gone to school and, you know, he's in Dubai, which is an unrealistic way of living anyway. You know, where's he learning this from? I, when I was little, I never thought about being unsuccessful and or homeless ever. So I just, you know, I don't know the way they grow up today. It's, it's a completely different sort of language. Everyone's speaking. Yeah, it's a different condition. Look, to me, I think, I think, you know, what, again, it, it begs the question, like, what is success and success according to whom and success according to what? And I think society's definition of success, I think, is so one dimensional. When we try to fit ourselves into that, it will be very limiting. It's just about how much money you have in your bank account, you know, the what, the where. It's very one dimensional, you know, the achievement of the outcome. And so does that mean if you stay in a marriage forever, that's success, but you're miserable? How is that successful? Oh, we're married, but he's cheating and she's cheating and everyone's unhappy. Like, how is that success? And we're being inauthentic and we're not evolving and we're not growing, but we're successful because we're fitting the perception of what society deems as success. Well, that's another and, thing. And so I think we, we have to question. And so I think, I, you know, I like to come from a spiritual perspective about things, which is we're souls. First and foremost, we're souls. We're souls that we incarnate into this human experience. And the way I see it, this life is a university for our soul's evolution. And every experience, every relationship, right, every breakup, breakdown, every person that we meet is part of the teacher. Every experience that we go through is part of the sort of curriculum, so to speak, for our soul's evolution. And so I, I like to see success less about what happens and what doesn't happen. Nothing wrong with achievement in the 
you know, society's sort of perception. But I like to see success less about what happens and what doesn't happen and more about the degree to which you learn, grow, and evolve. The degree to which you learn the lessons with who you are, where you're with, and whatever the experience so that you can become more of your authentic self. And I think the degree to which we realize who we truly are and become our authentic selves and learn the lessons so that we evolve, to me, that's success. Because at the end of our lives, when we all die, and we will all die and meet our maker. Bill Gates will die. You know, Buddha died. Jesus died. Muhammad died. Muhammad Ali died. Bruce Lee died. Bob Marley died. We will all die. Our time will come. You know, I think at the end of the day, we will not take anything that we have achieved materially with us. The only thing that we will take is the degree to which we have evolved and learned in our consciousness. And so I think to me, real success is evolution. Real success is growth. Real success is becoming who we truly are and living and loving while we are alive. I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with the marriage thing as well, that so many people, mm-hmm. you know, have these sort of relationships that they're both miserable in. But because they've made it through 20 years and we all know, I mean, maybe the spouses don't know, but we all know because, you know, the spouse is always the last to know that they're all at it in other places. But, you know, they they stand there, they cheers each other. And, you know, I always say never get involved in anyone else's marriage because, you know, genuinely they probably don't want to know. But how is that a measure of success? You know, the success I think is success is to have even if you got married five times, but have had five wonderful times, that's successful because you took the decision on your own to do something or, you know, to not make the other person unhappy or to not live and constantly be in fear of, of leaving. And you take, took your life into your own hands and changed it. And, and by the way, I, you know, what's amazing to me is if you'd met me 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I was a completely different human. And I actually love the fact that I don't recognize the person I was back there. I don't recognize the person that was in, in, in England. Now I live in, in Dubai and I'm a totally different place. And I love that. And I wouldn't change it for the world because, you know, I, I think that takes real balls and to say goodbye to everybody in a way and to move your life on where you don't kind of look back. Yes. That's freedom. You know, where you're no longer, you're not living a museum of the past in the present, an old version of yourself, but you, you're daring to, to be who you truly are authentically. And I think being authentic, the act of being authentic is so rare and challenging, but I think that is the process of life, like being who we really, really are and having the courage to be who we really are. You know, I think that that's everything, you know, so I think the next level of our lives the next level of success requires the next level of us, but the next level of us requires that we let go of who we were. And I think so often we are a prisoner to the past. Sometimes we're prisoners of success. We do what works. It's working. We're succeeding. So we keep doing more of it, even though we're no longer happy, we're no longer growing. And, and so I would ask people to think about what is it that you're currently doing that is working, but you're no longer growing and evolving. And, and so many times we, we, we're kind of prisoners to the past and we're afraid to surrender. We're afraid to let go. We're afraid, we're, we're afraid that if I let go and I surrender who I thought I was, then life won't work out. Then I'm going to be a failure. Then things won't work. But I'm actually saying, well, if you, if you, what if you dare to let go of who you 
think you are and who you are and let that go. What if, what if that opened up new possibilities? What if life worked out even more amazingly? You know? So take me through your process because you have put into place liberating living for your, sure. your clients and your, you know, the people that come to see you. What is this method? And what if I was coming to see you? What do you suggest? And how, how, do, how does it work? Yeah, there's not like there's not a cookie cutter program yeah. for every person because it, in terms of the structure, you know, I I don't do as much one on one now. Now it's mm-hmm. people come in group settings and we go to Bali and it's twelve days in a transformation. But it is a process of helping people first become aware of their conditioning. In any process of transformation, whether it's therapy, coaching, whatever it is, the first step is we have to start becoming aware. How would I find you? Why would I come to you then? If So it's a group setting. So at this point, yeah. I'm already, you know, the person is already sort of lost in their... Yes. People tend to get to the point, which we mentioned, where there is some level of pain in one's life. Mm-hmm. The sense of, wow, I'm in this marriage and I'm not freaking happy and I should be happy, but I'm not. Right. I have a, you know, I'm worth $200 million or $10 million and yeah. I should be happy, but I'm freaking miserable. Or... You know, I feel so much potential and love. I want to write this book. I have creativity. But for some reason, I'm afraid to step into expressing myself. I'm afraid to put my my life, my creativity out into the world and express my voice. And maybe I keep unconsciously sabotaging myself, even though I know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And so usually there's a point that people get to where they feel that there is more inside of them, more that is seeking to express, more that is seeking to happen there. For some reason isn't happening, whether it's in life, in love, in relationship, in purpose, in career. I, I have no idea what my purpose is. I have no clue. And I feel there's more and I don't, don't feel much meaning in life. And how do I find meaning in life? How do I know what's true? The first step is I think we have to, to, to have the willingness to transform, the willingness to come out of denial, basically, and the willingness to then start seeking deeper answers and the willingness to question. But often what we face is a phase of when we begin questioning our current reality, we often hit a point of resistance because the ego, our perceived sense of self, is seeking to protect our current reality, which is why many of us, we go into denial and we resist. Then we start negotiating. And so for me, the first step of like transformation is we have to be willing to become aware of our conditioning, aware of our patterns, aware of a deeper truth. And that's what to take courage. So I think the first step becomes awareness and then the willingness to start get, getting real and honest and stop telling ourselves lies and start telling ourselves the truth. That's like a first foundation. There is no transformation without truth. You can't bullshit your way into freedom. There is no tra- You have to want the truth more than you want what you have. And usually when there's enough pain in one's life, that's what begins to happen. Is that why you do it in groups? Because you feel that if you're in a group, you sort of you can't lie to yourself and others. No, I, I used to do it one on one. Yeah, for like ten years. That's all I used to do, and that's what I got known for was one on one. And I would create a yeah. kind of customized. I would find out everything about you and your childhood, how you got to be who you are, mm-hmm. and then I would sort of help you become aware of your patterning and conditionings and identify the the, the, the deeper level blocks, and I would help you sort of unravel them and and heal yourself. And so it's a process of sort of uncoaching, unconditioning, untraining from the patterns and programs and peeling away the layers of programming that have sort of built up over time to protect and condition you and to keep you safe. And so, yes, I used to do one-on-one and then it just got to the stage where it just felt like it was time for the next next phase. And so it went to 
like very intensive groups, 20 people to Bali. But I also do like larger events where there's two, three, 400 people in the room and they're, they're kind of different kind of events. But, but, but the essence is, is about tra- helping people become aware so that they can transform themselves. And your podcast, Soul Talk, is more based on what really matters in life. Like what yeah, you feel yeah. is like the important issues that yeah. people really should focus on rather than we've been conditioned to think about. Exactly. Yeah. Soul Talk is, is really an exploration where I, I, I one week I'll share a topic and the next week I'll bring on a guest to just explore life and, you know, ask the questions and question ourselves because we don't want to question ourselves because the fear is if I question myself, I have to do something then about who it. will I be? And yeah. to question ourselves can feel like a death to the ego. And the ego doesn't want to die. It wants to preserve its reality. And so I think asking ourselves the questions of like, who am I? And what am I? And what do I believe? And what's true? And what's real? You know, is, is, is the fundamental, is the core of, of transformation. So Soul Talk is about asking questions and, and exploring. I always say that because I think if you ask yourself the right questions and then you really know the answers, you have to do something about it. And a lot of people aren't ready to or don't want to. So I'm presumed by the time... Down, they do. But deep down, we know. Deep down, we know. There is a, we, we might play this sort of unconscious game of confusion. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if this relationship is right for me. I don't know what my purpose is. But deep down, we know. And I think sometimes we... We sort of create a smoke screen of confusion as a protection mechanism because if I don't know, then I don't have to choose. If I don't know what my purpose is, then I don't have to like put myself out there and face the potential rejection and risk of failure. I can always stay on the sidelines and have the hope of the future fantasy and the possibility of that purpose and not take the risk. And so many times, even our sabotaging and negative patterns underlying them is often a positive intention to protect us and keep us safe. But the mechanism with which we do it ends up being very limiting. So I think if we can become aware of our egoic patterns, aware of our conditioning, aware of our programming, then I think, and, and understand them truly, what they're trying to serve, which is to keep us safe, to get this love, validation, approval, then rather than judge ourselves for doing what, we, what we've done, rather than beat ourselves up for why we've been, how we've been and made the choices we've made, we can maybe begin to relate to ourselves differently by bringing some love and compassion because knowing that, oh, wow, I'm not doing this thing because I'm, I'm an idiot or I'm, or I'm trying to be mean to someone. I'm, I'm doing this thing because I'm scared. And this way of being, of sabotaging myself or sabotaging relationships, is just trying, trying to keep me safe. And when we can realize that, then we can shift our relationship with ourselves and begin to hold ourselves with some grace, some tenderness, some loving, some kindness. And ultimately, real healing happens when we bring loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. Let me repeat, real healing happens when we bring loving and compassion to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. And those parts of ourselves that are lying and acting out in certain ways are the parts of ourselves that need most attention. And those are the parts of ourselves that are hurting. But when we can bring loving, that's when healing happens. So if you could leave um, my listeners today with sort of a piece of advice about living their authentic self or if to getting even on their path, the right path, what would you say were the, were, was your top sort of tip? Uh, sure. I don't know if it's my top tip, but, but you're talking about authentic life. And since life is short and since this podcast is short, I would say my advice or my, what I would leave people to think about is this, you are going to die. 
No, thanks. You <laughs> are going <laughs> to die. And I would want you to feel that. I want you to feel that reality. I want you to feel your death. I want you to meditate and pray and sit with, you're going to die. We're all going to die. We know we're going to die, but somehow we waste so much time living like we have forever, living like we have till tomorrow, living like we'll wait 18 years until this happens and that happens. But none of us know when that moment's going to come. Jesus died, Buddha died, Gandhi died, Mandela died, Martin Luther King died. We're all going to die. It's, it's the only guarantee. And so I would invite you, and we spend so much time avoiding that reality, but it is the reality of this moment right now. We're all dying right now, every breath. We're getting a bit closer. And so I would invite you to breathe it in, sit with your death, not as a morbid thing, but as a living reality, to use that to focus you and create a fierce urgency to live life. Because we don't have, when we die, we can't go to our maker, whatever you believe, and say, hey, God, can I get a refund on those you know, five years I kind of wasted in that relationship. Can I get a refund on those two years I spent trying to get everyone's validation? Can I get a refund on those seven years I spent in that job that I hated, but I was too afraid to leave? No refunds. And so if death came, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unsaid? What's unforgiven? What's unloved? How would you need to live in such a way where you would have no regrets? And so I would just say, feel your death. Because I think... If you feel it, it brings you in touch with, at least it did for me, with the sacred preciousness and reality of this moment. Like every moment is sacred. Every moment is precious. Every moment is like, this is it. This is not a dress rehearsal. Like this is it. And so feels very urgent. Yeah. And use that as an inspiration. Thank you so much, Cute. That's actually going to, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs and think about that because it does it. For you, you've given me a complete sense of urgency. If you want one of um, Cute's books, The Magic of Surrender, You Are the One, which I read. He's also got his podcast, Soul Talk. Thank you so much for coming on. Exactly. That was fascinating and very deep. I feel like I need to go and reassess some things in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at at Caroline Stanbury for all the the behind-the-scene action. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.